Welcome to Translation Confidential. This is Peter Argandizo and Patrick Daly, and you're joining us for our last episode of 2021. And of course, we um, we did some reflection last week. This week, we're looking forward. So the theme for today is what is going to happen in 2022. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what we see as the trends for the year, but I thought we'd kick it off with a little news story. I think... Uh, Patrick found an interesting one from our friends at Slater. Yep. So as is tradition, I go digging on Slater before we uh, we hop on the air. Um, and I found an interesting article today about the EU um, and their um, parliament, who is, uh, they just closed a contract for um, speech to translation. Um, so this is, their goal is to transcribe and translate multilingual parliamentary debates in real time. Um, so initially, they had three vendors in the pool, which each had to develop a prototype for the service. Uh, and then the European Parliament tested that for a year. And then at the end of that year period, they determined which one they um, they liked best. And at the start, it was for nine languages. Um, and then with the stipulation that over the next two years, that there would be five more languages. Um so that fits in pretty well with what we're going to talk about today is, you know, what does the future hold? Um, and it's really we're, one of the key topics we're going to hit on is, you know, where does automation fit into the translation workflow and, you know, how does that affect translation quality? Great. Well, you know, I think we just uh, in our show notes, we have a few topics to go over. Why don't we just get started? And I think one of the ones you mentioned, Patrick, was media. And I think that that trend continues, right? I mean, obviously, Everybody heard a lot, you know, during the pandemic. Uh, I mean, we're, we're still in the throes of the pandemic, pandemic, but let's say the peak of the pandemic, everybody's really focused on like Netflix and, um, you know, uh, subtitling, subtitle translation, audio narration. You know, everybody was super, super focused there. I, I don't think that focus is leaving per se. Um, web, video, I mean, that's that's a huge trend, I think, and is going to continue. Yeah, I think we've seen that um, you know media and content is king right now, um, and content is going to keep getting made and at at rapid paces. And I think what's interesting is we found that streaming services, let's take Netflix for example, they found huge success in at least to English speakers, foreign language content. We'll call it where we, I mean we've seen Squid Game blowing up, um, and they have I mean regional studios that they're working with to put out content all over the world. So. Not only is you know the English content going to need to be in other languages, but the the opposite is true as well. Of you know to to English speakers again, foreign language content. They Netflix has found that American or English audiences want to watch that, so they're going to need that translated into English as well. You know, it only makes sense, right? If you look at, at not that not that I'm a Hollywood person, but I would think if you make an investment in um, whether it's a series or or a movie. And you say, well, with some translation, we can open the markets that much more. In other words, this content can now be viewed in Europe, in the United States, and it just requires translation. Of course, you know, there was a lot of buzz about how the translation wasn't great uh, for Squid Game. So I'm, I'm assuming they're going to get their, their, the, up their game a little bit for the, the second season of Squid Game, I would guess. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's super interesting. I feel like subtitle translation is a pretty hot topic in the translation world right now of, you know, how you do it, how creative you need to be, should it be word for word? It's kind of a, I mean, we all in the translation world know that language is subjective and 
how I translate something may not be how you translate something. Um, so it's really interesting to kind of put that creative hat on while you're reviewing translation subtitles. Um, but I mean, it would stand to reason that, you know, like, like you said, we're not Hollywood people, but these huge studios putting millions and millions of dollars behind a movie, you know, let's a translation project for, for subtitling, I don't know, a two hour movie is a tiny drop in the bucket compared to to what you have to pay the rock to show up on set for a day. <laughs> it is pretty it is pretty ridiculous that um um and, and I get it because across their universe they're like, well we have to do, you know, ten thousand pieces of content this year. I, I get that on a, a global stage, but I mean it's just like any investment, right? It's like or right, if I do this, I get this. It it seems silly that they would cut the corner. But we've we've seen this before, right? We've talked about it, whether it's literary translation or corporate translation sometimes when people cut corners all sorts of crazy things happen um this was interesting patrick one of the notes that um uh, that i see under media is moving away from print static content to dynamic or tech heavy content mediums what were you thinking in that context yeah i feel like we're not seeing so much of um you know like printed flyers or handouts or whatever it might be you know given to a person obviously the pandemic strapped rocket fuel to closing any in-person events really Um, but I think those were at least a little bit on the decline beforehand where it's like now when I mean let's take a restaurant menu for example when you go to a restaurant you don't get a menu they say scan the QR code so now instead of having that printed menu translated they're going to need to have that PDF that lives on the website or whatever however they have it hosted on the website they're going to need to have that translated so it's not going to be like a physical thing you can grab or touch. It's going to be, you know, translating the code base behind it, basically. You know, that's an interesting point, Patrick, because there is going to be a lot more of this, you know, quote unquote, dynamic content. I mean, you see it, too. You see the move. It's it's very subtle. For example, you know, now in Microsoft Teams, uh, you can turn on automated subtitling. And they're, from my, my understanding, is they're going to be attaching you know, Azure translation as well so that the, the subtitles could translate into different languages. And, of course, you think of the investments that have been made in platforms like, you know, whether it was Hopin um, or, uh, you know, where you can basically host a virtual trade show on Hopin and sell tickets as well. And it's all automated through that platform. I mean, that's really created for this world, this this new world. And I mean, I don't know, with the uh with Omicron and with um new variants and, and the, the rise in the numbers, you, you wonder what's gonna happen. Already you're starting to see in the news that some companies are pulling back from their uh from their dates. So it, I don't I don't know I would imagine it's gonna continue and that's going to be a thing even even after so if we return to whatever the new the new normal looks like, I guess, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, fingers crossed, it's kind of the, the seasonality of cold and flu of everyone being sick anyway. So it's just kind of, you know, COVID's kind of riding the wave of that. So hopefully we see what we saw last year, which is a pretty good recovery for, for spring and summer months in terms of, you know, being able to interact with people and, and get together with, uh, you know, close family and friends. But I mean, yeah, I think just in general, I mean, it speaks to kind of the generation shift too of from, you know, non-tech, let's call it, or website or however we want to classify it into kind of this this media space, which is, you know, how the next generation consumes content. It's all through media. It's all on your phone. It's all on your computer. Um, so, 
know, it, it's definitely a good idea to get all that stuff translated. So you have a bigger reach and, you know, you're generating more, more revenue from your content. Absolutely. Um, anytime that, uh, uh, an effort, a professional service that you add, whether it's consulting or in, in our case, translation or, um, you know, if, if you, you, you add a bit and it adds, adds revenue, well, then that's a success, right? I mean, that's, that's really the key with any of the investments made in this space. Um, I know we talked a little bit about automation. I know we both listed automation as trends when we were comparing notes. And, uh, I think that's good to focus on. Um, you know, obviously that, that trend is going to continue the new story you talked about, right? So that's where, you know, you're doing real time transcription. I'm sure it's AI powered. I think we're going to continue to see um, the introduction of AI, whether it's transcription, whether it's translation, whether it's to deliver something in real time. Again, whether that's a subtitle, whether that's um, you know a, a, a written translation. Um, but I think the key is how you know you mentioned how and where to use it, and I think that's a really important point. Yeah, I think um, I mean even from from the automation that we have, you know, in place at Argo, I still think there's a benefit to having that human stopgap at certain points. Um, I mean, we have automated workflows for, for website translations, you know, just for content exchange, none of the translation is happening in any sort of automated way. Um, but I still think there's value to, to have a little bit of a stop there to have that human check that QA or QC at a certain point. Um, what makes me nervous is something going on full auto because I just don't, and this is an opinion. I just don't think the process is there yet where you can confidently push it from start to finish and it will be a polished and good looking product. Uh, it might be, you know, 85% good, but in the translation world, that's not good enough. Absolutely. Patrick, just because we have the ability to do something doesn't mean you should, right? I mean, you see that, you see that, that theme in movies, you know, I always think of Dune. Jurassic Park. Yep. Thank you very much. Another one is Dune. If you remember the old original Dune and the, when they were using atomics, they, they had the, like the, in that era was the eighties. It was all about like nuclear weapons. And I think, um, was it, uh, Bertolucci, I think is the, was the producer. Anyway, the whole theory was, you know, we have this power, these atomics, which was supposed to be like nuclear weapons, but should we use them, right? And I think that that's the same thing with this automation is you can really automate every last bit of the translation process. That that technology exists. But again, like anything, I think it's, you know, what, what tool do you use and when do you use it? Is it a sledgehammer or is it a ball-peen hammer? You know, we talk about that theme a lot. And I think... I think the automation is going to continue, but I, what I hope we see is more responsible use of those tools because I think when used responsi- responsibly, it's a huge advantage for companies. And whether that's, you know, uh, for, for, for me, I guess in my opinion, I always like to see the reduction of friction in the process, right? So if it can be a thing where, hey, every time we create a piece of content, whether it's on this website or whether it's in the SharePoint whether it's in Marketo, whether it's in uh, Pardot, I don't know, um, name the tool. Um, If that can signal a process automatically that kicks off a human process, or even if it is MT to start, but then there's humans that review it afterwards and then it delivers it back to the platform, I think that's fine. I think that's that's where the power of the tool is. Yeah, I think what 
what it boils down to is if you can automate you know, job creation, content exchange, finalization of anything. I mean, even something as what seems like not a big deal that Argo has that I'm not sure other companies do is when we close out a project and you, you click that button that says, I'm done with this project, it sends an email to the client with the invoice and a link to their files. Like there's, that's something you're reducing the human lift on that to just make it easier for the whole process of the translation project. So automation's already here. I think like you said, it's going to keep creeping up and, and how often you'll see it. But again, it's really using it in the appropriate case to make sure it's either adding value or reducing, you know, administrative or human tasks that are, are easily able to be reduced. Absolutely. I mean, that, that, that's the key. And I think, you know, the flip side is when it's used improperly, right? I, I know that we both had that in our show notes about when not to use it, right? And I think there's some huge fails that happen um, based on that. Yeah, I mean, automatic transcription just always makes me chuckle because, I mean, everyone speaks differently. I mean, it's it's hard for, I mean people from Illinois versus even people from as close as Indiana speak differently just because there's cultural differences there. So you have to train the speech recognition engine to recognize everything. You can't just say, give it a neutral accent and speak into it because virtually no one speaks with a neutral accent. Well, I had to, I had to have, I had to laugh at the news story because, um, I don't, have you ever seen parliamentary debate? (laughs) I, I mean, there not, are time... but I'm assuming I wouldn't be able to understand a word of what they're saying. Well, it's interesting because sometimes it's very sober. It's but there are times when there's like seven people talking at the same time, <laughs> and I, I don't know how they've rectified that. Maybe everybody's individually mic'd and they get their own feed or something. But I, I was just thinking, I'm like, yeah, it just gets sort of heated sometimes. So I wonder how that. Works. Yeah, I mean, that was something I forget when it, I came across it, but. Um... Like interruptions are a huge deal for that. Like if someone's speaking and you get another voice on on the audio feed, that transcription is going to be dicey at best. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting, and I think, you know, if the if if the if that is important content that you're getting out, you know, obviously there's probably some um, legal requirements, you know, or some reporting requirements to the people in terms of what goes on in Parliament. But it's just interesting to me that. You know, they just, you know, well, we're just going to abdicate the whole thing. And I get it. There's huge cost savings there. They probably had to have an army of transcriptionists on um, doing that work. But it seems kind of crazy. So um, so uh, we, we talked a little bit about as well, like connected workflows. And I guess we should maybe make the differentiation. So a connected workflow versus, say, you know, something that's completely automated, I, I think is what you're talking about, Patrick, where really – it's you're using automation, but there's breaks in the process with people. Is that kind of what you're shooting with, shooting for there? Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's it's really having that human involvement to to help the process along, and really for at least from what I've seen, the really the most important part is is those quality checks to make sure that um, you know what you're outputting is going to be what it should be, not that you're just like mm-hmm. turning a blind eye and be like, yeah, it's fine, whatever. Um, you really need to have that human. QA, QC element in there to just really make sure that what you're delivering is good and good quality. Yeah, I like that, Patrick. I, th- I think oftentimes, you know, we um, we focus on like cost as the driver, like, hey, let's automate this so the cost goes down. And, and 
you know, the whole discussion or the business case isn't is sort of lost, right? People are saying translators are expensive. Let's automate it. Okay, great, fine. I think a smarter place, and that's why I like connected workflows, is to start with the business problem, right? To look at the global problem and say, what are all the things? We know what's on our wish list. Well, you know, we need these materials faster. Number two, you know, it's really hard for people to remember, did I send that page, that post, that story for translation? Oh, gosh, we have to update it now. I have to send an update. Okay, well, that seems hard to maintain. How do we maintain consistency across different stories? Um, You know, in other words, take a business problem like, hey, we have to translate our knowledge base or, hey, we have to translate our website and look at all the various problems that feed into it because it's not always just the cost of the translation or the cost of the transcription. You know, look at the whole thing and see that's where I think we're – where where can automation come in and help reduce that cost but maintain quality? And I, I think the ability to interweave technology and people into that is 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 key. I think all too often people just focus on, hey, I just wanna I just wanna Google translate this website. You know, that was kind of the solution there. It's like, hey, I just wanna flip a switch and now my site's in Italian. Well, I think I I think I think that's the wrong way of looking at it. Yeah, I think um what you're describing is essentially, um, you know, just developing a translation strategy, not just, you know, this, I'm expecting this website to cost 5000 and I get a, a bid for 10000 so I'm using Google. I think you really need to have those conversations with a language service provider because the value of language service provider, among other things, is they really can put your strategy in a good place and put a workflow in place around your strategy to make it work for everyone. Now, Patrick, moving on to the next topic, um, the metaverse, right? I mean, there's so much content out there, right? Whether it's the subtitles that come up on Apple Music when you're playing music or an app or video games or we talked about Netflix, um, websites. I mean, there's so much out there. Help sites. Uh, what, what do you think? More more stuff translated next year? Less stuff translated? Where's the... where? What, what where's the focus going to be? Yeah, I don't know because the metaverse is still very confusing to me, um, <laughs> and I feel like it is to a lot of people. But I mean, it feels like there's just going to be another explosion of content. What that content looks like, I have no idea because, again, I know virtually nothing about the metaverse. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I got to imagine that it's. I mean, the whole one of the ideas of the internet, right, is to have accessibility for everyone so everyone can be connected and understand everything. Well, to do that, it needs to be multilingual. So, I mean, it stands to reason that there'd be some some sort of translation effort behind the metaverse. Um, And like we talked about before, that's really not going to exist in terms of like, you know, here's a Word document, go translate it. It's going to be translating in those code bases. Um, So I think really having that that good basis of parsing technology of how you work with those files that make up the internet um, is, is going to be key. Yeah. And I think uh, I always think of too, is like user generated content, right? So you think of like even just, you know, Amazon or any of the shopping sites and reviews, you know, will those be translated? And then, you know, Instagram posts, you know, is that going to be instantly translated somehow based on your language preferences or, and, 
And what quality is that going to create in terms of the engagement? Does it make better engagement or does it make for poor engagement? So I guess it's going to be a mixed bag, right? It really depends on the content. And you know, I'm just thinking if there's a lot of slang and such, I, I don't know. I don't know how that'll work. So it'll be interesting. I think there will be more focus on it, though. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, we always talk about the the key with any sort of automated or machine translation is the engine that fuels it. And what what fuels the engine is user input. So, I mean, it's interesting to see if people will spend hours and hours and hours on end refining the MT engine to, I mean, in theory, improve those, those outcomes of machine translation. Yeah. And I think, you know, with sort of building off of this, we've been talking about AI and its influence. And uh, as everyone knows, a few weeks ago, AWS had a huge outage that affected like almost every business because all of us rely on AWS in one form or another for our uh, workflow, plat- you know, for our workflow workflows, our platforms. So that was huge. And, you know, a lot of AI... It's either through Azure or AWS. I mean, that's where a lot of those engines are. The transcription stuff you're seeing out there, that's either AWS or Azure for the most part. There are some, um, you know, there obviously are some proprietary systems out there, but those are the two that are most often used. Uh, Again, whether it is for automatic subtitling, audio recognition, I mean, that's kind of where it starts. They have have very good platforms and they're, they're... inexpensive uh, to someone saying, hey, I'm just going to develop one. That's not something you wake up one morning and say, hey, I've got a few extra bucks in my pocket. I think I'm going to develop uh, AI audio recognition. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, people are building on the solutions that are already there, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, we've got one more topic, right? Is it mergers and acquisitions? Absolutely. That's going to continue. <laughs> I mean, we've been talking about mergers and acquisitions for the last three years, I guess. And part of that I know is, is relative to our firm. You know, we've been looking to acquire and it's been tough. Um, you know, I, I just, I really think that um, business valuation is the key there. And I think if the sellers aren't ready to understand what drives price, um, it's going to be difficult. Like, especially in our space, there's not a lot of like you know, 10 multiples or 20 multiples going on. In other words, companies selling for 20 times what they're worth or 10 times what they're, they're worth, especially at the scales that we're looking at, because they often don't have technology. It's really more of just acquiring a customer list and, you know, hopefully picking up some, you know, some good employees to support that customer base. So it's, it's kind of crazy, but obviously in the industry on the top end, I mean, RWS was the big news, right? So creating the largest translation company in the world by a think almost a factor of well not quite two but um a pretty significant (laughs) lead so i i I think it's going to continue patrick would you agree yeah i mean do you i have one thought before i go into my question so i think that you know you mentioned some difficulty in in making an acquisition happen i think that's because a lot of things have to go right and if one thing goes wrong it can blow up the whole deal so there's there's not much margin for error when you're when you're pulling the trigger on something like this um, but my question would be, do you see kind of the merging of, let's call them small to medium companies to try and fight the big guys? Or do you see the big guys continuing their trend of just scooping up, you know, regional or smaller providers? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, the real action is going to happen at the top end in terms of, you know, those companies looking to acquire, you know, 
let's say, 20 to $60 million size companies because that actually has some impact. Um, you know, the deals we're looking at are a lot smaller, uh, you know, on the small to medium size translation companies. And I think those deals are going to continue to happen. Again, it just matters, I think, really, I, I would suppose, this is what I've been thinking lately, is that if they have some good accounting advice or like a fractional CFO or someone that's on their staff, that can give them a really good idea on valuation. Because all too often, people will just take like their sales number and say, oh, well, this. But I mean, you know, it's all about earnings, right? If, if your earnings suck, your valuation is going to suck. And if you're too reliant on one customer, that's going to be a penalty. The financing structure, I mean, there is there are so many ways a deal can go sideways. And uh, I'm sad to say that uh, <laughs> I'm sad to say that we've experienced some of those in trying to acquire. And I think we're either going to go a little further upstream and maybe try some some larger companies to see what we can what can happen. But I think you will continue to see consolidation. Right. I think it's interesting to, to kind of a, a viewpoint on like, let's say you own a translation business and you're thinking of selling, whether it's, you know, an exit where you're just selling and you're like, I'm out or whether it's actually a true merger, because I feel like you could apply the tech stack from Argo to other translation companies. And that would do wonders for them in terms of profitability and things like that, where, like we mentioned, some of the automated things that we have in place, I think across the industry, you know, whenever we've entered those those uh, merger and acquisition discussions, and we we would look at other companies' tech stacks, we're like, man, this would be awesome if this mm-hmm. could happen. And it's already a capability that Argo has. So I think looking at it from that perspective, even if it's an exit, if you say, holy cow, that technology they have can do something awesome for us. I mean, that could affect your payout of like, you know, if you're dealing on future business or whatever, however the deal is structured, I think it's really important to to hone in on that, that tech stack when you're looking either to buy or sell. Yeah, that, that, that was uh, not the principal reason, you know, obviously it's just, um, I hate administrative work. So that was always the, the driver, you know, I was talking to our CTO the other day and it's going on 15 years that we're working together, and we've done so many different types of automation projects together that, um, you know, it's really the the reduction of administrative work. But yes, it does make uh, for a powerful tool that we could use in merger and acquisition. So I hope we get to use it, Patrick. Let's hope next year when we're doing this show, we're talking about, hey, our, you know, our successful merger. Let's hope that that's <laughs> the case. But I, again, I, I think we'll definitely see it in the industry and across a lot of different industries as uh, people try to consolidate power, I guess. So, well, this was a good show, Patrick. Um, it's crazy that another year for my year-end curveball for you? you. Throw it at me. All right, so instead of biggest takeaways, we're going to do what are you personally looking forward to in 2022? Oh, I like this. Okay, boy, and you threw out the curveball, <laughs> so I guess I have to go first. All right, what am I I can't put everything in the show notes. Yes, exactly. Keeps me on my toes. What am I personally looking forward to in 2022? Um, you know, we're doing a big revamp on um, um, how we're doing our sales effort. We brought some new tools into to bear, and I think that's going to be really interesting. So uh, it's a little early to say, but I, I, I will have more information probably as the year goes on. Um, but I'm really looking forward to that, and I can tell you that personally – um, after a couple years of uh, loss 
um, losing my father-in-law, losing uh, my mom. I'm just looking to get out of the darkness of what's been going on and, and hopefully to a, a, a better state of normal. I mean, I haven't seen my colleagues in a regular, on a regular basis for 18 months, and that sort of sucks. So that's what I'm looking forward to. How about you, Mr. Daly? Yeah, I'm hoping that, um, like you said, a little bit of return to what we thought of as normal before. Um, I kind of want to get out and travel. It's been a while since I've been able to to take a vacation. Um, so that is going to be fun. Um, and yeah, I'm also, um, studying for the PMP test, which if there's any project managers out there, that's kind of like the certifying body. It's the ATA equivalent, we'll call it of project managers. So, um, started studying. I read like one chapter of this gigantic study book. So, uh, it's going to be a long process, but I think it'll be, exciting to have that kind of formal qualification around the already hopefully spectacular work that I'm doing as a project manager. (laughs) Absolutely, Patrick. I think that'll just be another, uh, you know, another arrow in your quiver, if you will. So that's great that you're doing that. We'll be, we'll be excited to hear about how that goes throughout the course of the year. It's, uh, I've found already that I need to translate project management speak into English. (laughs) Um, so that's been the, the first challenge I've run into is just they do not speak like normal people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like any industry, right? Everybody has its lexicon. So, well, good, Patrick. Well, another successful year of the podcast. Thank you so much, Patrick, for co-hosting. Another great year uh, to all of our listeners. Wishing you a happy holiday season, uh, a wonderful new year, and we will see you in the new year. So for Patrick Daly and for myself, Peter Argandizo. Signing off for this episode of Translation Manifest.